What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton. I am your host. I hope you're doing well today. I am recording directly onto my phone with a smaller microphone than I normally use. Uh, I wasn't planning on recording a podcast today, but after a conversation over coffee with a good friend of mine this morning and a lot of the stuff I've been studying recently, I was like, I just want to open up the mic and start talking. So if the audio quality is not the same as what it normally is, I know we don't have high standards for audio quality at this time in the podcast, but uh, that is the reason why I'm recording directly into my phone. Uh, Mobile technology is kind of amazing. Kind of, it's actually amazing. All the things that you can do on the go. uh, There's a lot of really good, cool stuff that you can do. Um, So I have been studying and having a lot of thoughts on on kind of what I'm going to spell out today. Um, And so I don't really have notes, but I'm going to start talking and I'm going to kind of replay the conversation I had with a friend this morning on, on about the state of our country, our institutions, the family, uh, and what we can begin to do about it, which is one of the reasons I started this podcast. You know, I tell the story all the time of the conversation I had with my dad about what kind of man do you want to be, and that was a primary reason for starting this podcast. But another reason I started this podcast is because I was starting to see some things happening in culture and society at large that I felt needed to be addressed. And when at the time, um, I mean, this was almost two years ago now that I had the idea for the podcast. And at the time, I wasn't quite sure how to name or explain what it was I was seeing or feeling. And now I feel better equipped to start begin to talk about some of those things. And I've mentioned some of them before on the podcast, but today I want to kind of get into just a little bit of what I'm thinking, seeing, observing, and what we need to begin to do about it as as men specifically. Uh, before we do that, next week I'm going to be do- interviewing my mom on the podcast. I have several moms who listen to this podcast and then share it with their sons. I had a couple moms reach out to me and because uh, I have some moms that listen to it, I decided I better interview my mom. My mom raised three boys. She'd been married to my dad for 38 years, and she's got a lot of wisdom. I, you know, I say that my dad is the greatest man, greatest ordinary man that I have ever met. My mom is spectacular. She is a strong Christian woman with wisdom and insight, and she, I mean, the things that she deposited into me and my brothers and our family that came to fruition uh, in our 20s, especially our later 20s, and now in, in the rest of our lives, you you wouldn't believe. And um, believe it or not, me and my brothers were not easy boys to raise. Uh, I know you're, you're shocked by that, but <laughs> um, we were not easy to raise, and my mom was steadfast. And so I was like, man, mom, could you come say some something to... Uh, the moms who listen to my podcast so they can start um, depositing things into their um, sons and daughters. Uh, but also, could you come and you know share some wisdom with the men who do listen to this podcast? And so I'm super excited to um, interview my mom next week. Uh, if you are a mom who listens to this, invite your other moms because my mom raised three amazing boys who all are stable in their faith. And um, at least two of them, my younger brothers, are 
making a large impact in their work and in their family, and they, they do amazing things. I can't speak for myself. That will be decided by someone other than me, but uh, my mom's amazing. Can't wait to do that podcast with her. Um, so I, I went to breakfast this morning. Or I didn't go to breakfast. I went to coffee this morning with a buddy of mine. He's a youth pastor, and uh, we were talking about one of his sermons that were upcoming that were he's going to be doing this week, and um, the conversation kind of led into uh, some stuff he's dealing with with students and with parents, and and it kind of overlapped with things I was thinking about. And so, um, what I told told him, I was like, I'm going to make a prediction, and, and I'm going to share my prediction with you guys about where our cultural, our culture, and our society is. Because I think if you look out into the world, and you're paying even moderate attention, you can tell that there is something deeply off about what is going on in our society, our country, our states, our schools, our churches, our families. You, you can tell that there's something that has shifted, uh, and that has been a long time coming. I mean, like 70 years coming, probably, well, more, more like 60 years coming, six decades coming, and there are philosophies that, let me back up, let me back up a little bit. I really enjoy studying history. I love knowing the events that happened. I really love the founding of the American country. I really love that period of history. I also obviously love the uh, history of the early 1900s when Theodore Roosevelt was president and everything that was going on there with gigantic corporations and all that kind of stuff. Um, I also really enjoy studying the history of ideas. Studying history will tell you what happened, and studying the history of ideas will tell you why it happened. Uh, The ideas undergirding events in history are the reason that things happen, and you can trace it to how we got to where we are by the dominant ideas of how people saw the world, uh, the philosophies that people lived their lives by. And so what I don't really study, I study some uh, philosophy, uh, like to help me understand like theology and stuff like that. But primarily what I'm interested in is the history of different ideas and their, and their basic tenets and how they shaped the world. And post world war two, uh, there was, uh, the dominant philosophy that started to overtake all of American society and institutions was You could call it enlightenment liberalism. So it was the ideas of the enlightenment finally played out in their fullness over uh, into liberalism, which is uh, the freedom of man as the highest inherent good. Um, Basically, the best thing that a human human can be is his natural state of unlimited freedom. That was that's the basic tenet of enlightenment liberalism. And, you know, you'll hear a lot of people say the basis of our country is freedom. Um, And that's not necessarily true. Uh, It's partially true. It's not necessarily true. It was the basis of our country founded in the preamble of the Constitution is one of seven tenets of our country. And and liberty of the individual is one, but that liberty is matched by uh, responsibility, constraint, and other duties to society. There wasn't this... I'm free. I can do whatever I want. That didn't happen until the 1960s with Enlightenment liberalism, where the basic understanding 
of human nature is that man is ultimately free. He is best off when he is ultimately free and he finds happiness and salvation in being as free as possible, meaning he can do whatever he wanted. That has been the dominant philosophy of American culture and culture in the West really for the last 60 years. That fused at the same time, there was another philosophy that started to emerge uh, called critical theory. Critical theory is the idea that uh, you've heard probably critical race theory, but critical theory is not applied just to race. It's applied to any institution where we need to pull apart, pull it apart, find out what is wrong and decimate it. That is, the, in, it's a very reductive view of, of human history. It's all just taking it apart. Um, and critical theory is rooted in a Marxist ideology of the world. So Marxism is not just a economic philosophy manifesting in communism. It's, it is a philosophy adamantly opposed to Christianity. Uh, Marx himself called for the dissolution of the family. He also called for the end of Christianity. Hop on Google, type in Marxist quotes about Christianity, and you will see that he wanted Christianity removed from all societies everywhere because he hated it so much. Okay, So we've got three things kind of going on here. So we have uh, enlightenment liberalism. Man is ultimately happiest when he is free. We have critical theory that is... Um, pull everything apart, find out what was wrong, and decimate it, which is a, which is unbelievably destructive, and it leaves a mess behind it. It doesn't build anything. It just leaves a mess. And then you have the Marxist theory that families and Christianity need to be decimated. <clears throat> what happened, though, over the course of the last six, 60 years is Enlightenment liberalism merged with critical theory. They, they sort of merged. Man is happiest when he is free. And also, we need to pull apart anything that, in, that steals away from the freedom of man. So this has primarily come, as you can see in our culture today, in um, human sexuality. I am most free when I can be my free sexual self. And anything that is oppressive to that needs to be... Um, needs to be taken away so the oppression word right there that comes from marxism marxism separates people into two classes the oppressed and the oppressor and it is the job of the oppressed to overthrow the oppressor no matter what so when you match that with unlimited freedom as the highest good anything that pits um the expression of unlimited freedom is the oppressed uh the oppressor oppressing the oppressed. So, for example, Christianity has a lot of restrictions on human sexuality. We believe in male and female. We believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. If you say that, you are now an oppressor for people who want unlimited freedom in their sexuality, and you need to be overthrown. Okay, So that that's one example. <clears throat> and so with that kind of background, here's here's kind of my prediction. All of the the... The fusion of Enlightenment liberalism with critical theory based in Marxism is called neo-Marxism. That's what it's called. You can, you know, we hear words like woke, um, critical race theory, critical theory. Uh, what's another term that people use? Progressive. 
all of that is just neo-Marxism. The ideas, they don't really change that much. They all have the same root. Neo, that's called neo-Marxism. And here, here's my prediction that I wrote down. Uh, over the next 20 years, if nothing changes, and the time frame is irrelevant, but it's really accelerating, and I think 20 years might be enough time to for this to really take place if we do not do something about how we organize ourselves and and how we live in the world. Over the next 20 years, neo-Marxism will continue to demolish Enlightenment liberalism. So neo-Marxism eats Enlightenment liberalism for breakfast because Enlightenment when freedom is your highest value you ha you create a lot of instability because you anything that is um that steals away from freedom needs to be uh destroyed you create a lot of um instability and there's no foundation to hold up those ideas they those ideas that are rooted in enlightenment liberalism have nothing to stand on and because marxism understands that people are not ultimately free but they do organize in groups and um, their ideas are very compelling to people who are sitting in the instability of, of Enlightenment liberalism. And so neo-Marxism will continue to demolish Enlightenment liberalism that was established in the 1960s till all that remains is uh, neo-Marxism and Christianity. Those will be the two dominant worldviews, philosophies, and ways of living in the world. Uh, the people who are rooted in historic Orthodox Christianity and its basic tenets, they're pretty rooted. They're, they're not going to be captive to many other philosophies. Some have been. Most aren't. And then everything else will be eaten up by neo-Marxism. And since one of the core tenets of Marxism is the dissolution of the family and of Christianity, the best thing that churches in the West can do is build strong families with strong generational ties up to and including grandparents. Okay, so that, that, that's my prediction. Critical theory has made its way into Christianity in the form of what's called deconstruction. Maybe your church has talked about deconstruction. Maybe you've heard this term deconstruction. Maybe you've seen it on TikTok or Instagram. Deconstruction is just <laughs> critical theory and enlightenment liberalism fused together within Christianity to pull apart everything that has been wrong within the framework of Christianity for 2,000 years. And it just decimates it. It pulls it apart. It says, this is evil. That's bad. That's bad. And it tears it to shreds and it leaves people without a foundation. It is unbelievably destructive. Um, its basic you know, kind of tenets is, because I am, is this comes from Enlightenment liberalism, I am free and autonomous, therefore I can interpret the Bible and Christianity and its orthodox tradition as I choose. <clears throat> and there is no authority over me because I am inherently free and authority is is oppressive. So I don't need to listen to historic Christian, Christian understanding, old books. I don't need theology that's um, older than 2005. I don't need any of that. I can. I am free to interpret and to think about this how I please. That's part one of deconstruction. Part two of deconstruction is from critical theory. I have, because I don't have any historic root, I can tear apart what has already been built by thousands of years of Christians, and it just decimates theology. So we've got a couple things happening that are, that, are really destructive and that you and I as men need to be aware of. 
you've got in society at large the pulling apart of um, what has built this country and has built the West through uh, through uh, critical theory and neo-Marxism that is currently eating Enlightenment liberalism. So if you were born after 1960, the only philosophy you really know is Enlightenment liberalism. Um, and Enlightenment li liberalism is popular on left and right. Um, it's just manifested differently on the left. Uh, there's no religion. And on the right, uh, there's religion, low taxes and free markets. And, but other than that, they're the basic, they're the same. Um, tradition doesn't need to be, uh, celebrated faith and religion should be private, that kind of thing. So you have the society at large being pulled apart and eaten by neo-Marxists. And then you also have deconstruction happening within the church, and it is reshaping an entire generation um, at the at the very core of of what um, has been traditionally seen in history and in the history of this country. <clears throat> Here's why this is this is such a problem. If it is not combated, Marxism will take over. It will just like it did in Russia um, and in China. Um, the communist, All communist regimes are based in the ideas of Marx, and it leads to widespread destruction and murder and atrocities that are unfathomable. Uh, and could it happen here? It could. Um, you never know what, what could happen. I mean, if, if it's happened before in history, it could happen here. And it decimates families, and it decimates everything that we know and love. Um, and it's also the big thing it's contrary to christianity it's contrary to the good news of jesus christ it's contrary to the story of god throughout the bible and history and how he is remaking all things and we we have got to do something which is one of the reasons i started this podcast is because um i love our tradition i love our, our religion i think it is the most stable foundation to build a society on um and actually one of the in one of the books i'm reading um I had to take a picture of it and send it to my dad. Uh, the author writes this. He says, this is, I mean, this is on page towards the end of the book. Um, he says, but we are now at the end of the road. We have seen the grotesque finale in which the children of enlightenment rationalism or, or liberalism based in rationalism. Um, whole nother topic. Uh, We've seen the grotesque finale in which the children of Enlightenment rationalism demolish the liberal society that was established by their grandparents. Perhaps now the argument for restoring Christianity as the normative framework and standard determining public life will have a greater plausibility. It is this plausibility that must be considered in the coming years. I do not believe that it is possible for such a conservative program to be advanced in America or anywhere without extensive cooperation among Christian denominations. This guy's a Jew. He's not even he's not even Christian. He's a Jewish guy. Um, and he still recognizes that Christianity is the greatest framework for building a society. Um, and you might be listening to this and be like, no, faith should be private and have any any influence on on the public. That's false. That has not been that has not been the dominant idea of Christianity until nineteen sixty five. Up until that point, it was understood that um, public religion had would greatly influence the role of society. 
um, and how society understood itself and how it played out. It was, it was vital. There is a whole history of ideas, and it wasn't until the 1960s that Thomas Jefferson's letter about a wall of separation between church and state became doctrine in Supreme Court rulings and legislation and ideas in academia, and that's why they started removing prayer from schools and, the, and uh, Bible teaching from schools. Those were all things that were just a normative part, and it wasn't because they were trying to make everybody Christian. It's because as a culture and as a society, we recognized that the Bible, being as old as it was and as stable as it was, was a great foundation for building a just and righteous society. That's, that's what it was. Okay. So, with all of that being said, and there's Look, I, t- I was talking to my friend about this. He's like, well, I'm scared. I was like, there's no need to be scared. Marxism might eat enlightenment liberalism for breakfast, but Christianity shapes and forms nations better than anything. Uh, Marxism took over Russia for like, what, uh, 80 years or something. And the thing that set it free was Christianity. Uh, I, I know Putin's in the news right now, but Russia has a pretty deep ortho- Christian Orthodox tradition and several Christian people uh, took a stand, including Christianity in the West. You don't end the Cold War without Christianity. Um, there's, there's a whole history there. It's worth reading. Um, so I say all of that because, one, you, it is important as men that we understand what is happening in culture. Inflation is like, compared to these ideologies, inflation is nothing. Economics are, re, are pretty easy to restabilize. Uh, ideas are not, um, and frameworks about how people see the world and how they live out in the world are not. And so I think that, um, during that same period over the next 20 years, the churches that can give a compelling theological vision of the family will be the churches that people seek. And I mean, uh, the family generationally, uh, grandparents, great grandparents, um, the role of a mother, the role of a father, um, the honoring of father and mother across generations, inherited tradition and values of parents to their children, um, the way parents instill values and traditions in their parents, that is going to be the basis, I believe, of the next great, um, of the next, all the the churches that are making a serious impact in the world. I think that is going to be it. And churches that are that are not focused on that, but focused on something um, else, you still have the gospel in there. You don't have you don't have strong families with values and traditions without the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ is victorious over the world. Uh, that He conquered sin and death. You don't get any of that um, without that without the gospel. Um, but if there is not a uh, a, str- a good focus, a strong focus on building families, um, neo-Marxism will just take over the entire West and uh, cause wreck havoc in ways that we don't understand. Because they neo-Marxists want the dissolution of the family and they want the dis- and they want the dissolution of Christianity. They do. They see it as in the way of their uh, societal aims. And so I'm talking to my friend about this and he's like, I'm scared. I was like, nah, Christianity, it can't be stopped. (laughs) Christianity was a key aspect of the Roman empire falling. It has preserved civilizations for 2000 years. It is the strongest basis for a society and a family life because it's real and it's true. And God for 3,500 years, since he called Abraham, 
uh, till now has not given up on the world. He promised he never will. There's no reason to be fearful. But there is reason to be aware and to start preparing and to start putting your efforts into um, what makes for a, a strong society and a strong family. And that is uh, through Christian values and traditions that have been held true for for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And this is a this is a battle. Call it a battle. It is. Call it what it is. It's a battle that men are going to have to fight. You, you can't sit out on the sideline. You can't sit on the sideline and hope that things are just going to be okay if we just keep to ourselves. That's, that is not, uh, that's not true. It's the men who know what they believe and who stand on what they believe. They know why they believe it. They're rooted in it. They're the ones who shape pos- the future for their posterity. And they're the ones who build the strong foundations that we all take for granted. <clears throat> in this country, it's men like George Washington, John Adams, uh, Sam Hamilton on the political side, but also people like um, Edmund Burke, um, or was he British? I don't remember. Um, and the people, who, James Madison, the people who came up with the philosophical ideas of the country that were rooted, John Calvin, uh, Martin Luther, uh, St. Augustine, these are people um, who have held up great society. We, you've got to have respect for them and honor them. Uh, the way this the way this is going to play out, gentlemen, um, is going to be a return to honor. It's going to be and then to traditional values of what of what you believe. This starts with honoring your father and your mother. We talk about this all the time on this podcast. In this book I just read, at at the core of this book is honor as honor specifically in the family as a basis for all healthy societies. There has to be a level of honor that men start to give out to people. Um, yeah, that I, I don't know where that thought was going. That we need honor. We need to bring honor back. Honor to mother and father. Honor to our institutions. Honor to our leaders. It's okay for things to be hierarchical. I don't particularly care for Joe Biden's presidency, his policies, his ideas. I don't really care for him, but he's still the president of the United States, and it is my duty as an American citizen to honor him as president, even if I don't like his ideas. Um, it is important that you honor your senior pastor at your church, and you let him have a level of authority in your life because that he is who God has placed over you. You need to honor authority over you. It's good to, for you to honor your father and your mother because you don't have life without your father or your mother. They fed you, they gave birth to you, they created you, they clothed you. They may have done some crappy things and they may have made some mistakes, but you're not here without your father and your mother. There is no command uh, in the Bible that says you should love your father and your mother, but there is a command that you honor them because you are not here without them. And for better or for worse, they are the reason, they're, they're part of the reason that you are the way that you are and they've made sure that you had some form of life. And they, they deserve your honor. It's a command. <clears throat> and the promise of the Bible is that if you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you and you will dwell long in the land, which is one of the arguments of this book. It's not just individuals who honor their father and mother. It is society as a whole. If there is an honor for fathers and mothers as in society as a whole, you will dwell long in the land because it's the basis of all other hierarchical structures that form strong societies. 
Uh, you need to honor your teachers if you're in college. Honor your boss if you're at work. Give honor where honor is due. If you don't like what they're doing, you can honor them by talking to them, which is hard to do. Oh, believe me, I know, because there's that fear that they're going to have retribution or be angry, and it'll be okay. Honor them enough to to talk if you think they're doing something that you, you don't like. Or ex- have enough honor for them to examine your motives and your reasoning for not liking what they are doing. Like, if you don't like the way something about what your church is doing, is it because it's sinful or is it because of your preferences? If it's because of your preferences, there's no need to talk about it. If it's sinful, then, yeah, you should talk about it. <clears throat> we have work to do. And the reason I was talking to my youth pastor friend is because he gets a lot of pressure from parents to raise their kids for them. And I said, you need to tell them, you need to honor them enough to tell them that it is not your responsibility to raise their their kids. It's not a youth pastor's job to raise kids. A youth pastor, a senior pastor, a counselor cannot replace the responsibility that God has given to parents for the raising of their kids. Senior pastors, youth pastors, counselors, teachers can supplement what parents can do, but they cannot replace what parents do. And a way that we can begin to honor parents is recognizing that they have primary responsibility for the raising of their kids. The state does not, teachers do not, counselors do not, pastors do not. They are uh, important as part of our institutional framework, but they cannot replace parents. And we need to honor them enough to recognize that fact and to place the responsibility back on parents because parents who abdicate the responsibility do not set their kids up well. The other thing that we had talked about is when when you abdicate parents of their responsibility or when parents have the primary goal of being friends with their kids, every single one of those kids grows up to have disrespect for their parents and they want to be distanced from them because they know that their parents did not set them well set them up well for their future if your goal if you are a parent and your goal is to be friends with your kids especially if they're under 25 the i know the law is 18 go at least till 25 college kids and people in their 20s still need the guide of the i need the guide of my parents i'm 30 almost 31 with a kid i more than ever need my parents it is not the role of parents to be friends with their children. It's to raise them, to teach them, and to set them well up for the future. And that's when kids begin to see that their parents are worth honoring, when they set them well up for the future. It is in their 20s and 30s that, that children begin to realize what their parents deposited in them, and they are willing to give high honor to that. So children should honor their father and mother. Parents should take on the responsibility of teaching their children even when it's hard. And my mom's going to talk about that because children are not easy to raise. It is a difficult task. And it's even more difficult if there's not a mother and father in the home. But, so that's my prediction and that's why we have some work to do. Um, The Christian faith is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And through the church and through Christians throughout the last 2,000 years... God has built a pretty awesome world, and there have always been philosophies contrary to Christianity that want dominance. Uh, in Colossians 2, Paul writes that do not, let, um, do not allow your mind to be taken captive by human philosophies contrary to Christ. And I don't want to see our nation fall 
or our families fall or Christianity fall in the short term, it, long term, it, it always wins out. In the short term, two ideas contrary to Christ like neo-Marxism which decimate families and individuals and it creates a society in perpetual revolution because there's always going to be oppressed and oppressors in their view that need to be overthrown. It's unstable. It creates unsafety. There's no peace. There's no righteousness. You and I have some work to do as men in figuring out what we believe by reading scripture, old books, formulating in our mind the best way to raise our families and to run our country through uh, traditional institutions and values that uphold and create a stable society, even if that means abdicating some of our freedom for greater, for greater means. Uh, unlimited freedom is inherently destructive. That's why in the New Testament, this is so important. In the New Testament, it says, for, for freedom, Christ has set you free. The New Testament and the Bible are big on freedom, but it also follows that sentence up with, therefore, do not use your freedom as a license to do evil, but instead serve one another. P that's in Galatians. And uh, Peter writes, do not use your freedom for evil, but use your freedom for good. Constraint on freedom is good. There needs to be a level of constraint upon freedom and your liberty for the good of society at whole. You are not free to do whatever you want because that will be lend itself to things that are inherently destructive. We've got some work to do in figuring out what we believe, knowing what our traditional values are, what, how to run institutions. We need to bring back honor to manhood, to motherhood. We, like, man, motherhood is such a gift. Bring back honor to motherhood to fatherhood, to marriage, to the church, to authority. We have some work to do, and I am very hopeful that men are going to rise up and fight this battle, um, knowing when to stand, when to speak, and how, and they are going. we are all going to set up our country and our society for longevity. I'm very, 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 very hopeful. Thank you for listening to my 34-minute rant. Um, I just, I've decided I'm going to plug in the microphone and start talking and see where it happens. Uh, please share this podcast with a friend or a couple of friends. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe so that you always get notified when I upload an episode. Remember to tell your friends or moms or anyone you know that my mom will be on the podcast next week to dispense a lot of motherly wisdom, which I am super excited about. Um, I hope you have a blessed week. I hope you find the strength that you need in, in God because we all need God. Um, and until next time, this is the Man I Want to Be podcast.